0: Having this opportunity to be able to get back in the pulpit after many months. Thank you. yeah. If I try to walk, I will be brought back on the tether, so <laughs> this is going to be a new experience for me in not walking, So, but we will see how it goes. And I I really want to share many of the lessons that the Lord has been, you know, sharing with me or giving to me in the last few months. Uh, But I thought it would be appropriate to talk about fathers today since it's Father's Day. So I'm really saving that for next week and probably maybe a week after that. Uh, I'm going to probably get I'll get into 2 Corinthians 4 and Colossians 3. Um, oh, by the way, January, or July 3rd, uh, we're going to be having a special speaker, Chris Miller. Uh, he actually comes from Olean area, and he's going to pre- be presenting uh, a whole uh, uh, talk or sermon on on um, Genesis. Uh, it kind of ends our VBS week, so, it's in, so that week and then the following week I'll hopefully be back. Keep praying for me if you would, just for strength. Um, Next week, if it's not quite so hot, I'm going to see if I can preach without the bag. But I knew it was going to get up to 90 today, and I didn't want to dehydrate in front of you. (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, We're going to have uh, the the message title, and I don't usually say much about the message title, but it's A Courageous Gutsy Dad. In light of Father's Day, A Courageous Gutsy Dad. And you say, why did you name it that? Because... If you're going to teach what the Bible says, you have to be courageous and you have to be gutsy because the Bible goes against culture. It's countercultural. See, the culture says it's all about self-esteem and self-relying and self-sufficient and being self-promoting and self-centered. And as we learned at parenting class today, uh, self-righteous. You know, it's all about being self-oriented. By the way, is there a key word there? Self, and yet what the Bible says, what the Word of God says, and no, it's really all about Him. That we need to be God-centered and follow what God says and do it for God's glory and for God's exaltation. And so as we get into, we're going to be looking at Proverbs. In fact, if you aren't aren't there, you can turn to Proverbs. But we're going to be looking at some lessons. But to teach these lessons means that... It's against culture. You've got to be gutsy. You've got to be willing to say, no, we're going to go against the stream. You know, we're going to go against the culture. We're going to do it for God. We're not doing it for myself. We're not doing it for our kids, even. <clears throat> we teach these principles and disciple for these principles because it honors God. You know, when, it, when we think of parenting, you know, when one of the interesting things is. Like if you go to CBD or one of the bookstores, there's all kinds of parenting books. And quite honestly, a lot of it's garbage. Because a lot of it is very self-centered. Trying to promote self, really. I mean, it really is going against the Bible. Even though they say they're Christian authors and that you bought it at a Christian store, be careful. Be very careful. By the way, let me give a plug. Bill and Jen are teaching a class downstairs parenting. It's excellent. It is excellent. Can I say that again? It is excellent. So if you're a parent and you haven't yet gone to that class, they're only into the second week. And I actually bought two extra copies of the DVD. So if anybody came to me and said, I really want to do it, but I want to get caught up, I can hand it to you and say, watch the first two and then we'll get you right into the class. But I would encourage you to get in that class because it's very biblical. But you know, there's a lot of parenting stuff out there. But you know, when it comes to the scriptures, there's really not a lot of parenting passages. I mean, you got the most famous one in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to, ra- to wrath, to anger. That's the negative side. But bring them up. This is a positive. But bring them up. That means to mature them. Uh, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's, that is, in the New Testament, the key passage. There's one other in Colossians 3. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, you have Deuteronomy 6 where it talks about teaching them whether you walk or lie down or in the house or out of the house or well, basically whatever you're doing, always teaching. But, but beyond those key passages, there's really not a lot said about parenting. Now, there's a lot that you can teach as far as what you have to teach. I mean, the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God. But as far as specific passages. However, in the Old Testament, there is one key passage Actually, not passage, but book that was literally written from a father to a son. And that, again, is Proverbs. And so if you're in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. This This is Solomon discipling his son. This is a manual. This is a book on parenting in the sense of this is what I want you to get. You know, he's telling his son, this is what I want you to get. And so he writes these to his son. In fact, you say, well, how do you know it's to his son? Well, let's just briefly look at this. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father. And by the way, he's going to say that over and over again. I always picture this whenever I read this. Solomon taking his son's chin. You know how like little kids like running around, you can't. And and like holding it. And looking into his eyes and saying, hey, I want you to get this. Because kids are bouncing off the walls. So he's like, you know, my son, hear the instruction of your father. And don't forsake the law of your mother. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. How about chapter 2, verse 1? My son, if you receive my word. See, my son. How about verse 10? Uh, No, not verse 10. Let's see here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he, uh, my son, do not forget my law. Chapter 4, hear my children. Now there he's talking about my children. Uh, the instruction of a father. Uh, how about verse 10 in that one? Hear my son and receive my sayings. How about verse 20? My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. I mean, do you, you hear the, the heart cry of this father? Man, I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand wisdom. I want you to get instruction. And you can almost see the kid, yeah, yeah, dad, I got it. Yeah, you know, you're not that smart. You know, you know it's always interesting, you know, when they're young, yeah, whatever. And then they get a little bit old. Then they move out of the house. Dad, could you help me out with this? Um, Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. You you get the emphasis? You're not listening. Uh, Chapter 6, my son, if you become surety. Now there he's talking about money. And then chapter 7, verse 1, my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments. And I would just encourage you right from the start, if you're a... A son or a daughter or a young person or even an older person. You know, after reading all those passages, one of the things that we, first of all, it just hits you. I mean, here's Solomon. He keeps going back. Why? He's saying to his son, listen, are you listening? And, And I would just ask you, are you one that hears? Do you have ears to hear? You know, Jesus said often, if you have ears to hear, are you focused? Are you listening? Um... Teens, are you listening to your parents? Are you catching what they're saying? Because here Solomon keeps going back. Son, get it. Listen. Focus. Yeah, you're busy. I know you got all this other stuff, but are you? Do you have ears to hear? Because Proverbs fifteen five says this: A fool rejects his father's instruction. A fool does that. But he who regards reproof is wise, is prudent. Are you one who hears? You might be. 15 years old, or 12 years old, or 8 years old, or 25 years old, or 30 years old, whatever. Are you listening? Because the older, if they're wise, can pass lessons down, but the tendency is, yeah, 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 I'll learn it on my own. Why go through that? Listen. So I think that's the first instruction, just in Proverbs overall, is do you have ears to hear? But now we want to zero in. And get some lessons. And by the way, the outline is extensive. And my wife said, you only have about 35 minutes, John. How are you going to do this? I gave you an extensive outline. Probably won't get to it all. Um, but just just want you to have it. Um, interesting story. The FBI went into a town one time to investigate, in, investigate what, was, what appeared to be a sharpshooter. Because around town there was all these painted bullseyes with a bullet hole right through the middle. And they were like, there must be a sharpshooter in town. Well, they finally caught the guy, and then he told the story. He said, well, what I would do is I would shoot and make the hole and then draw the target around it. (laughs) Well, sometimes I think we're like that when it comes to the Word of God. See, we determine this is what I want to be and do. And now God, get used to it. That's the target. We don't want to do that. We want to go to the Word of God and say, wait, what is the target from the Word of God? What does God expect? And then hit that, right? So that's what we want to do here. We want to, we want to see what the Lord expects for us. Uh, the first one is this, and again, we're going we're gonna to be all over Proverbs. This is not an exposition in the sense of going in one passage. It's just It's And, and it, I know it's going to be hard maybe to keep up. But I just want you to just get the, these eight lessons. And like I said, we may only hit some of them very superficially, simply because of time. But the first major lesson, you see it over and over again, both in Proverbs and especially the Psalms and Proverbs, uh, 20, 30 times. I, I meant to look up exactly how many times this phrase appears. It's the fear of the Lord. So the, 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 the main one, the main lesson we have to teach our kids is this. We have to teach our children... Our teens, the fear to fear the Lord. We have to teach to fear the Lord. And again, you see that over and over again in Psalm 34, verse 11. It says this, You children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If there's one lesson that we have to teach our kids over everything else, is to fear the Lord. There's a, there's a tendency to be lackadaisical when it comes to God. By the way, you probably seen in your own life. I, well, it, it would be shown this way. If you're able to, look, to watch something where they swear against God and you keep that on, you're laxadaisical to God, right? Because God's name is holy. Hallowed be your name. And if you're able to just, you know, uh, you know, it's just one swear word, it's just two, it's just using the Lord's name five times, I can still watch the movie we become ago. We dis- we're dishonoring God through that. So, we have to teach our children to fear the Lord. One of the first things we have to realize is that genuine wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. If you're in, if you're in the first part of Proverbs, look at Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, that's the starting point. Chapter 9, verse 10 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we have the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. It's found, the very beginning is the fear of the Lord. Everything else is secondary. And when you say, you might say, well, what does it mean? Well, the very starting point of fearing the Lord is actually receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what happens when you fear God? And, And again, fear God in the sense that God is holy. And knowing that you are not, and that your sin condemns you before God, God the Father, that should break us. In fact, we saw that in parenting classes. That, that should break us. In other words, we're not trying to get our kids to feel better about their sin and themselves. We're actually holding up a high standard where they say, you know what, I can't please God. I need, I need what God has given through His Son, Jesus Christ. Sacrifice on the cross. Christ paid the penalty for my sin. And I need to receive Christ. And I'm a broken son and I'm a broken daughter. And see, that's where the fear of God actually begins. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. as, As we understand who God is. And by the way, there's two parts to the fear. Part of it is reverential. It's the awe. It's the positive aspect of the fear. It's our Father is hallowed. Be your name, and and you might say, well, how do you how do you uh, how do you help your child to have that type of fear, that awe, awe for God? Well, you teach His attributes. You teach His attributes and you live His attributes. Live them in the sense of live uh, as far as. That you're one of his children. Uh, You teach the fact that he is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. I mean, the one that I've been holding on to for the last three months is that he is sovereign. That he is... Well, not one. I've actually been hanging on to a lot of his attributes in the last three months. That he is sovereign. That... That it, there is providence. Providence means He works all things according to His purposes. You know, I mean, even the mess of this world. Do you realize this? That even in the mess of this world, He is working everything according to His purpose. He's working everything towards the day when Jesus Christ will finally come back to this earth. He's working towards that day, right? I mean, everything is. I mean, even though sinners are in control, they think God is sovereign and God is, has providence. I've been really holding on to God's wisdom, God's love, that God is merciful and he is gracious. I love what we're just saying. What is that one line, that all his ways are perfect? I mean, that's just like, yeah, Lord, all your ways are absolutely perfect. I mean, you got to hang on to that one, right? you got to hang on to that one. Okay, when you teach your children those truths which are found in the Word and then live those truths out because you know what God's going to do for each one of us? Out of His grace and mercy, He's going to put you through trials. Right? Suffering, trials, (coughs) temptations. And when you hold on and you go through the trial and you say, God is sovereign. God is provident over all. God is loving and merciful and gracious and kind and gentle. And he is all those things, loving kindness. Now your kids connect, okay? You not only say he is, but you believe what you believe, okay? Now, when that happens in a a person's life, they're like this, wow, our God is good. Now, if you say one thing and respond in another way, what's going to happen? They're going to say, you don't believe it, you don't believe it. But the first part of the fear of the Lord is the awe factor, which drives us to worship it. But the other side, let me give you, that's the positive side. The negative side of the fear of the Lord is that he is holy and that he hates sin. In fact, he hates sin so much. This is one of the things that, you know, Romans talks about that he has, in, in Genesis you see this, he has cursed this earth. And he has allowed disease and suffering to exist on this earth, and everything is going down. And you know why he he does that? Because disease is a picture. In fact, um, John Piper says it's a parable. Disease is a parable of what sin is. Like you look at disease and you say, that is really bad. And God says, but you know what you you don't understand? is how much worse sin is. So when you, see, these diseases only give us a snapshot of how bad sin is. So, the fear of the Lord is this, that we connect and we say God is holy and he hates sin. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Verse 16, verse 6, By the fear of the Lord one keeps away from evil. So we, are in awe of God through his attributes. But one of his attributes, well, many of them are as holy and just. And we are sinners. And because of that, God has to condemn sin. And if we find ourselves holding on to our sin, and, our, and we're under the wrath of that sin, then we go to hell. But because of Christ, he has come, he has sacrificed himself, And we can be forgiven because he paid the penalty for our sin. But see, God is just and holy and he has right to condemn sin. So that drives a child to Christ. So the first and very most important lesson that we can teach our kids is to fear the Lord. I mean, teach the attributes. But along with the attributes, teach the fact that you are not righteous, child. That you need Christ. That God will condemn you. I I hear some parents... And it's almost like, well, honey, little Susie, you're okay. No, you're not. No, no, I'm raising a sinner. Right? I'm trying to influence a sinner. And they need Christ. It should drive them to Christ. And if you have the true fear of the Lord, I like what one guy said, when God is feared, sin is feared as well. When God is feared... Sin will be feared as well. And I get that. Again, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Oh, I have the fear of God. Well, do you hate sin? Do you fear sin? Do you run away from sin? No, no, I can kind of get over. And I'll tell you where you see it all the time. Media. If you're comfortable seeing ungodliness, laughing at ungodliness, being okay with it, then wait a second, do you have the fear of the Lord? So as a parent, let me just give a couple applications. As a parent, expect and demand respect and obedience from your child. Now, I'm getting that through the fear of God. In other words, as we're raising our children, we should expect them to hold to God's standard because God is the one that is God and He will chastise sin. So we should expect that. That's the first... Because, again, I'm training our... I mean. We're almost done training. My youngest is 16. He can drive. Who could figure? I mean, like, I got four grandkids. Oh, wow. Where'd they come from all of a sudden, you know? Well, they did come pretty quick, I will say that. But I love them all. Um, but again, drive them to see who God is and his standard, okay? Let me give you one more about the fear of the, the Lord. Much will be taught of the fear of the Lord by how you treat his day. You know, Revelation talks about the Lord's day. How do you treat his day, Sunday? How do you treat his people? Do you make, do you make this time priority in your life? See, it is the Lord's day. I mean, he said, I mean, even in the Old Testament, he said, you're going to work for six days, you're going to have one, I understand it's Saturday. But I also understand New Testament. New Testament, it's Lord's Day. Sunday became the priority. You mean you 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 have to be legalistic, John, and you have to come to church every Sunday? I always think of it this way. Years ago, when we would get together for family reunions, one of the things I told my mother is, you know what, if you have a family reunion in Fredonia at 1 o'clock in the afternoon... Just know I can't get there till 3. Because by the time I get done preaching and I'm leaving, I, so I will be at the family reunion, but I'm going to be there late. Why? Because this is the priority. Not just because I'm a pastor and I'm working, because I want to be in my family, my spiritual family. And she would kind of frustrate and not, nah, you know. But what if I told my mother this? If you have it at 3 o'clock on Sunday, I'm not coming. In other words, I don't even care about the family. In fact, you have your own family reunion. I don't even care about you. Well, what would happen then? Some sparks would fly. Now, God says this. There's local churches. It's called the family. We're family. And when you, when you don't come, let me say, you're ditching the family. I hope you understand how important it is to be part of the family. This is critical. This is critical. This is, In fact, I, in many respects... My spiritual family is closer to me than my blood family. And so the question is this. The fear of the Lord. You know, are you making His family, His time, when we corporately worship, do you make that a priority? Because your children are watching. And if you don't, that's teaching a major lesson. And again, I may be stepping on your toes. Actually, if I am, that's okay. Because God's... No, because this is critical. It, it, I find, you know what we find in the world? What's happening in the world right now? They're putting everything else on Sunday. See, it used to be nothing had happen on Sunday. Saturday, maybe a practice on Sunday. No, 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 no. See, everything's getting pushed, pushed on. And so now, you know, well, if I don't have this going on, you know, if I don't have a game or a practice or a family reunion or this, that, and the other, maybe I'll go to church. No, that shouldn't. It's reverse ordered. My spiritual family is Priority. Because there's a dynamic that happens, corporate worship, corporate learning, corporate together, that I don't get anywhere else. That's priority. Okay? So that's the first thing. The fear of the Lord and even how you treat the days is is critical. Now, I can see I've already taken up a third of my time. Number two, we must teach our children to guard their minds. Look at chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart, and the heart is... Use synonymously for mind. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Watch over your mind with all diligence. For from it flows the springs of life. So one of the second key lessons we have to get to our kids. Guard your mind. Guard your heart. And I'll tell you what, in our day and age, with cell phones, you know, little cell phones, and and you see people like this, you know, clicking all you know, you're talking to them, and they're clicking away, you know. But this is one of the most dangerous things out there, right? Is this dangerous? Do you realize I can have three? Well, I can't on this. This is a dumb phone. But on three clicks, and I could get to a pornographic website, right? I mean, it, for especially for men and boys, the most dangerous thing. This iPads, iPods, computers, lethal. There, there are going to be so many souls that are shrivelled up, so many people that will end in hell, and I understand sovereignty and election. I understand all that but but the tool that Satan used was media. We have to teach our kids to guard their heart because out of their heart, out of their mind flows the issues of life. <laughs> By the way, the word diligence" in that verse means confinement. you have to confine it. You, The fool, not the fool, the um, simpleton in Proverbs is the the guy that says, you know, I can do anything in my life and it's not going to affect me. The simple man says, uh, you know, the door is open, let me try everything. And and the Bible says, no, you will die. You will shrivel. Uh, So we have to guard our hearts. Let me give you a a statistic. Uh, The average age, I'm just porn. Average age that uh, a person sees porn is age 12. 11 or 12. Can you imagine that? And most of you have seen it. 68% of young adult men and 18% of women use porn at least once a week. 68%. That's two-thirds. That's two-thirds of men, young men. I can say old men. I don't know. I mean, and there's statistic after statistic, which I won't bore you with. But the point, the point is this, 68% of young, now you got some young people here, okay? I, I would encourage you as parents, ask your, ask your kids point blank, have you seen porn this last week? I would do that. By the way, if you're a wife, I would do that for your husband. I know from what I speak, okay? Sometimes I think wives, and I'm not saying wives can't fall into it, but be careful, guys. I mean, a wife is supposed to be her uh, husband's helper. Ask him. Point blank. Make sure eye to eye, though. Eye to eye. And by the way, be the helper. Don't be the the one that blows if you, if you hear the wrong answer. But I'll tell you what. Guard your heart. <coughs> Proverbs 4.14 4.14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil. Now that's, see, do you see what he's saying? As you come up against evil, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. But the second part of the passage in verse 15, it says this, avoid it. That means you've already seen it. Do not pass by it. In other words, don't pass by it for a peak. And then he says this, Turn away from it. What do you mean? Because now he's already seen it. Turn away from it. That's an imperative. And pass on. In other words, pass on means escape. And he's not talking porn there. He's just talking all kinds of lust. But he's saying, listen, when you come across sin, first of all, be proactive to not even go near it. Because it's, it's easier to avoid temptation than to have to deal with it once you're there. But even if you've got caught in it, then escape, avoid it. We've got to teach our kids that. I like what David said. In Psalms 101:3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I know my wife for a while they had it right in on the TV. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Because again, true character is not defined by how we look in front of others or what we say or how we behave. It starts with what we think, okay? True character is not how we look, what we say, or how people think, or what we do, it's how we think. So the second major, major um, lesson that we teach our kids is the thinking. Guard your mind. I'm gonna, And, and, and with, with us, with myself, I ask my kids, especially my boys, you, even the older ones, I call them up, I want to know. And if you give me the wrong answer... I'm not okay with that, but I want you to learn to guard your heart. Because I'll tell you what, not just porn, not just that type of lust, but all the things of the world will just shrivel your heart. I mean, you might be saved, but it will shrivel. Guilt and all this other stuff will make it, like even when you're worshiping God, it'll be, oh, you know, I fell again three days ago. So be careful and teach. Okay, So that's the second lesson. How about number three? We, we must teach our children to, to carefully select their friends. Carefully. I like what Proverbs 12, 26 says. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. you got to choose your friends very, very carefully. Now, you can have a lot of acquaintances, but when I'm saying friends, and, and this is why, because friends impact our lives. They'll impact your life. And again, this is a message of how fathers can help their sons and daughters. But, hey, I ask you, are, are, do you, cl- uh, do you uh, select your friends carefully? Or, let me ask you this way, do you develop friendships? See, some say, well, yeah, I, I'm pretty careful, but I just don't have anybody close. <laughs> no, no, you need people. You can't be an island. You've got to connect. I mean, I, I need connection. I need to have close, male, male, for me, connection. I've got to be able to talk, not just for accountability. I need to just, I need close friendships. We all do. So are you developing them? But you've got to be careful. They will impact your life. They're not neutral. Proverbs 13.20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. Why? Wise men are wise. You're going to continue. Why? Because they do impact us. We're going to emulate them. In fact, Proverbs twenty two twenty four says this, Do not associate with a man given to anger or, or, or go with a hot-tempered man lest you learn his ways. Actually, some of you are married to one of them. Probably. I imagine a group this size. Be careful, right? You're going to be affected. But especially with a friend. No, if a friend is a hothead, I'm not going to hang with him. I'm going to learn his ways. I want to have a man that... You know, I can look at him and he's not perfect. Not perfect. But you know what? I want to be able to emulate his good characteristics. That's how it should be. So teach your kids that. You know, friends are important. Ah, he's my buddy at school. Well, that, you know, maybe an acquaintance. But this is, remember, they're going to affect you. You're going to be motivated by them. We all know this, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, Right? John MacArthur wrote this. Rarely does a child have the capability to elevate himself beyond the constituent group in which he functions. Children don't go above the group. If they're in a group, they're going to become like that. And we need to teach our kids that. Do you want to turn out like them? you want to turn out like them? But again, we have to be careful. Be very, very careful because... Sometimes you depend on a friend and they don't come through. Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man of many friends comes to ruin. And you say, wait a second, what do you mean a man of many friends? I thought thought we were supposed to have a lot of friends. No, the point of Proverbs is this, that the friendships are too broad. You can't have... 45 really, really good close friends. It's just not going to happen. And if you think that those are all like that, you know what? Maybe some of them will fail you in the time of need. It's too broad. You've got to get some where just are deep. The man of many friends comes to ruin. Now, we, now it's okay to say, you know what? I can't have everybody as a, a close, close, deep, intimate friendship. Doesn't. By the way, you're going to have more friends in the body of Christ that you can depend on than you would in the world. I, I've seen that in the last two months. I just cannot... I won't say too much, it brings to tears. But how much you guys have all meant to me. I mean, just the outpouring of time and prayer and seeing and writing and texting and letters and notes and cards and calls and you know it almost it almost makes this verse wrong because I have so many good friends but I get what the point of proverbs is sometimes you depend on somebody he's not he doesn't he doesn't come through i can honestly say you guys have come through which has been a tremendous tremendous testimony to Jesus Christ Tremend- would you say amen to that Ron tremendous testimony and what I really like about it is the body working. I told you a while back, you know, a couple of you have apologized. Oh, I wasn't there. That's okay. In the hospital, that's okay. I had so many visitors, that was okay. We all work together as a body, right? I just look forward, well, I don't look forward to it, but the time when one of you are in the hospital and we do the same, you know. <laughs> I, I don't look forward to that, but you get the point. You get my heart attitude. Okay, now we've got to really hurry. Fear of the Lord, that's priority number one. Fear of the Lord, priority number one. Hey, they can get a great job, have a great SAT, do great in sports, da-da-da-da-da, but if they don't have the fear of the Lord, where are they? In comparison, not, nowhere. Okay? The fear of the Lord is the absolute first one. Guard their mind. That would be the second, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23. As a man thinks, so is he. Select your friends carefully. Number four, help your children to know how to watch their words. In other words, help them to watch their words. That when they speak, I would say the first thing is that they would speak truthfully. I mean, Proverbs says a lot about putting away a deceitful mouth and devious lips. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, 1222. Chapter 6 says the Lord hates a lying tongue. I mean, a lot is said... Teach your children to speak truth. I know when I was, so and I were raising our kids, um, if you fail, and I ask you, we ask you, tell the truth. You may fail, and you may even get spanked for your failure, but if you lie, it's going to be twice as bad. Because God hates lying, but not only that, when you lie, you're opening yourself up to so many other sins. But the other thing is this, when it comes to words: be cautious. Teach your kids to be cautious. Proverbs 10:19 says, "When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable." You ever get into a conversation maybe with your spouse, and you start here and you're a little frustrated, and you keep talking, and an hour and a half later, you're like, over here, and you're like, "How did we get here?" And now it's all blown up because you didn't use just a few words, you used a lot. So let me read that verse again in that context. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Teach your kids to use few. To, this is 10.19. To restrain his lips. Those who restrain their lips are wise. I mean, 1728 says this, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace, when he holds his tongue. Take a fool. When he holds his tongue, he's counted wise. Why? Because he's not spouting off foolishness. You know, so There's little phrases out there, you know, I call it as it is. No, that's a fool. There's a lot of things I, I call a spade a spade. No, I don't. No, hold back your tongue. Hold back your tongue. I say what is on my mind. You're a fool. Don't say what hold. Took me many years. I I'll tell you what, our elders are so gracious. Because there was elders' meetings and I said things and I'm like, I would if if it was me now, I'd fire the guy. (laughs) If Ken did it, you're gone. No, he wouldn't, because you guys would fight for him. I know where it is. But the point is, is this? No, he don't say everything. He holds your tongue, and that's wise. That is wise. So you teach your kids that. And so when you're positive, and then and then you know, Ephesians talks about edifying. In fact, he, uh, Proverbs ten eleven says the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. It's refreshing. It's like a well of life, you know. Because the wise promotes growth and edifies and builds up and all that. So that's number four. How about number five? We must teach our children to pursue their work. Even in the Old Testament, six days you shall labor. Pursue their work. Hey, is work good? You know, a lot of times, I don't know if we're putting that out. Oh, one more, one more year and I can retire. What does that tell the kid? He's having a bad time. He can't wait till he's retired. I, I understand. I, I really look forward to some of you retiring. I'll tell you, Charlie Diver's been wonderful. He's retired. He's working up here all the time, doing stuff. Leo, you know, I mean, <laughs> where would we be without retired people? But, again, but is, we're good. They're still working. Just different. Is that what's in your mind? Are we passing that on to our kids? Work is good. Ah, I better... Oh, I do like this one illustration. Talking about works, being self-motivated, you know, like go to the Ann O's oh, sluggard, observe her ways, you know, because the is always busy, 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 you know. Employees at a Detroit business office found the following important notice on the bulletin board. Quote, The management regrets that it has come to their attention that workers dying on the job are failing to fall down. This practice must stop as it becomes impossible to distinguish between death and the natural movement of the staff. (laughs) And then they go on and say those who find themselves in that position will be dropped from the payroll. I mean, it's like, wow. I.e., be diligent. Be diligent. Teach your kids to be diligent. Teach your kids to... Learn to work hard. Now, we keep saying teach our kids, and many of you are here and say, My kid is gone. He's talking to who? No, no. I'm even saying to you, you might be 55 years old, your kids are gone, you got grandkids. My question is this Do you look at work as good? Because how you view work is affecting us too. See, we need to learn these lessons. Hopefully, you've learned them. Again, do you see a man skilled in his work? Do you see a man diligent, 2229, in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before insignificant men. So again, we want to teach our kids that work is good. Hard work is good. By the way, I mentioned two guys and I'm starting looking around. I've got a whole lot of other guys, I mean, men and women who are retired. And this, you're looking right at me. And you're saying, I'm doing all, and you are. There are so many individuals that are retired that say, you know what? Now I've got more time to do things for the Lord's work. That's excellent. Number six, teach your children to manage their money well. Or it's actually God's money. You know, it's the Lord's money. And I I would just say this. There's two key words when it comes to wealth. One is the word contentment. If you're not content, it's going to be very hard to, to handle the money well. Because God calls us to be generous. That's the second key word. And unless you're content, what's going to happen? More, more, more. In fact, one of the little phrases we used to teach our children about contentment was this. Contentment is happy with what you have. Are you happy with what you have? Because if you want, and I'm not saying you're never getting something else. I just bought a boat, by the way. Now, it wasn't a brand new boat. It was an old boat, but it's a good boat. And we're going to have a lot of fun on it with my grandkids and my kids and stuff. So it's not that you don't buy something, but the point is, is this. Are you overall content? Because if you're not, you know what it is? More and more and more. Which makes it very difficult to do the second thing, and that is generosity. It says in Proverbs 9.3, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Do you give? Do you give with a priority? Do you, do you give first? Do you, do you as an adult give first? Again, it's going to be hard to give. It's going to be hard for your child to see, you know, do you sacrifice for the Lord? And by the way, again, I hate to keep saying about, but I've just seen sacrifice even in the financial realm from the church. But, but again, to the Lord. To the Lord. You give to the Lord. See, that's why, you know, talking about contentment, Proverbs 23, 4 says, Don't weary yourself to gain wealth. I love this. Cease from your consideration of you know just more and more and more. King James says this: "Will you set your eyes on that which is not?" For riches certainly make themselves wings and they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And some have experienced that they work, 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 and all of a sudden, because catastrophe came along and it was like it just flew away with like on wings. You know? Uh, no, no. We just want to be content, we want to be givers, we want to be generous, especially to the poor, and I won't be able to say much more about that. But teach your kids how to manage money. Teach them that it's good to give. Teach them that it's good to save. You know? The last one kind of go together, seven and eight go together. We must teach our children to control their passions and lusts. Now, this one plays off of the the second one. We have to teach our kids. By the way, if you look at Proverbs, and when it says, My son, did you notice that it's in chapters 1 through 7? He doesn't say it after that. And if you look at 1 through 7, you know what Solomon is primarily talking about? is son's lust towards other women. In fact, sometimes I've told men who struggle in the area of lust, I want you to read Proverbs chapter 1 through 7. Chapter 1 on Monday, Tuesday, is si- uh, number 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And keep going because chapters 1 through 7, Solomon is looking at his son and saying, listen, the number one reason, number one thing I want you to get is this, that you have to control your passions and loves. That's chapters 1 through 7. I like the old story of General Patton. George Patton. Now, I wasn't around to see him, but they called him Old Blood and Guts. And one of the things he was known for with the Third Army during World War II was he was unconventional. His idea of winning a war was kill the enemy. And you didn't ever back down. You just kept pounding them and pounding them and pounding them. And even in Africa, where Rommel was, he finally actually broke the back of the German General Rommel because he just pounded them. I mean, he just, in fact, he was the type that, you know, destroying more destruction. And finally, as Rommel was leaving Africa, let me tell you one other thing. Rommel was a great general as well. Tanks. And he actually wrote a book. In fact, he published the book, Rommel published the the book, before World War II. And one of the things Patton did was, he had read about Rommel. He knew his tactics through his book. And so, I mean, he's pounding Rama. He knew, he knew his next move. And as Rama was leaving, and the tanks were leaving, Patton looked and said, I read your book! And he said it twice. See, one of the keys to winning World War II, or any war, is what? Know your enemy. Know their tactics. Know what they're going to do next, so that you can respond. Well, that's what you see in Proverbs. Proverbs. See, this is the manual. This is where Solomon says, listen, I want you to get it. Because this is the critical lesson. If you can't win in this area, you will go down in, in flames. So we have to teach our kids to be able to control their passions. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, in, uh, in verse 27, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself might become disqualified. I have to discipline my body. My body, flesh, wants to do the wrong thing. It wants to dishonor God. It wants to go on the wrong path. And we have to get our kids to understand that. It's not odd for you to want to disobey. It's not odd for you to want to lust, but it's wrong. And we've got to teach them. And by the way, the path of destruction comes slow. You know, and the... In the grade school, it might be filthy jokes. Then you progress to pornography. Then you're starting to date. What happens? You defraud your date, whether you're the girl or the guy. Usually it's the guy defrauding. Then you're in marriage. And do things change? No, all of a sudden you're flirting, and yet you're married. Things happen. And so you become life patterns, chat rooms, and... All this other... And then ultimately ends in what? Adultery. But it didn't just start with adultery. It started there. And Solomon is looking and saying, and I know some of you had to endure this, and it's been very painful that you were violated by the other person, I mean, you know, your, your marriage covenant. But the point is, I'm just trying to say with parents, you know, parents have to get their kids and say, listen, you've got to control this these lusts and desire because they will destroy you. They will shrink your soul. They will shrivel your soul up. Now let me just give you some, some lessons out of here. You know what's interesting with Proverbs 1-7? through 7? The immoral woman has five different Hebrew words. And it's translated either strange woman or adulteress, or foreigner or seductress or evil woman or harlot. You know, all these. But I think this is what his point is. Let your kid know That physical lust comes in many forms because he uses five different words for the immoral woman. Why? Because it comes in different forms. Evil desire comes in different forms. It doesn't always come from the internet. It doesn't always it may come from the person that you're flirting with at work. Son, listen to me. Do what God wants. That's the first thing. How about B? Let them know that you, have, that you can have victory over passions and lusts. I, I even meet older men who, who have been succumbed to pornography so long that they don't even think there's victory out there any longer. And yet, look at what chapter 5, verse 1 says. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. What? That you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. You can... See, in other words, in fact, New American says this, that you may observe discretion. In other words, there is victory. Sometimes, uh, I won't get too personal as far as family, but the point is, is, there is victory. Does God want you to have victory? Whether it's the lust thing, or the covetousness, or the anger thing, or the worry thing, or whatever thing it is, whatever sin it is. Does God want victory? Yes. But I think we need to teach our kids, you know, you can have victory. Chapter 2, verse 16. To deliver you from the strange woman. Now that's adultery, but he can deliver you from any of those other sins. You can have victory. I th- Parents, tell and show your kids you can have victory. And then finally, show them the danger of lust. And now we go look at, and this is where we end. In chapter 5, verse 3. It says, the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Now, you get the point. I mean, she says it's so good. She's so convincing. She flatters her, you with her words. In other words, it's going to be seductive. They're trying to seduce you. Look at verse 4. But, in the end, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That means suffering. Suffering. Sharp as a two-edged sword, that's death. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Her ways are unstable. Verse 9, lest you give your vigor to others. That's wasted prosperity. Verse 10, your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. That's wasted wealth. And you groan at the end, verse 11. That's a wasted life. And the second part of 11, when your flesh and your body are consumed. That's wasted body got to get your kids to understand. And, and again, we see a lot of unfaithfulness. We see a lot of divorce. A lot of all that crap. Isn't there? Isn't, this, isn't that so rampant out there? But I think it's because one of the things is they think they're going to have a happier life. That's not true. Proverbs is very clear. There's all kinds of uh, consequences to that sin. We've got to teach our kids that. Now, what's the antidote? Well, you see it in verses 15 to 20. We have to teach our kids to enjoy their spouse. Be contented with your spouse. And I'll just leave you with that one verse. When it comes to your spouse, this is how it should be. Verse 19, As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Now this is the point. I know you're going to be focused on the breast. No. Always. And all, no, this is the key point, the last one. And always be enraptured. That's intoxicated with her love. Not our body or love. That's what we got to work towards. Hey, child, son, save yourself for your spouse. Don't defraud your girlfriend. Don't defraud your boyfriend. Wait. God has much for you, but it has to be in the context of marriage. And and if you're faithful now, if you're faithful to have a pure mind now as a 12-year-old, and if you're faithful to do it right with your, with your date and you don't defraud her and you don't defraud your future spouse and you do it right and then you get to marriage, see, what are you doing? You're setting yourself up for a life, a, a pattern of faithfulness. Because if you're unfaithful in all those areas, there's a tendency when you're married that, yeah, I'm just a guy. I'm just unhappy. So be faithful because God has the best for you. And you know what the very best is? That when you walk down that aisle, that you've saved yourself for that person, and you say, I do, and you have a life of happiness. Why? Because you've done it the right way. Now, you're immediately going to say, but I didn't do it the right way. Okay. Then confess to him and get on the path of saying, and always be enraptured with her love. That doesn't say her physical body. Her love. And many, and I'm just speaking for men. Sometimes, as men, we're not enraptured and intoxicated. That's the word, you know, like drunken with our spouse, and we need to be. We need to get our eyes on only one person, if she's living, and that's your spouse, right? And nurture that, nurture that. And as you nurture that as a father and a grandfather, now you can pass that on to your child, right? And even if you're right here and you failed over and over and over again, you can start right now. Because if you are involved in porn and looking around and all that other crap, it will hit you. Be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers. Be sure it will. And it will. Time and truth always come out. And, and I'm, I'm getting real pointed here because you can't, t- you can't take your child where you haven't gone. And you can't take your grandkids where you haven't gone. So first of all, it starts at home. If you're even an older man, a younger man, and you're dabbling or you're always in that, hey, if it's 68%, I'm looking at somebody right here, a number of people that are involved in that, right? You got you to gotta start right now and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I want to go in a different direction. And would you give your, would you as men, ma- I'm just talking to you men, if you're married, would you give your wife the right to look you in the eye and say, are you, are you falling into this area? Whether it's on the internet, chat, flirting. Are, are you involved in any of this? You know, John was talking. He gave me the right, but I first of all you got to give me the right to ask. Will you can I have the right to ask? I would encourage the ladies to ask their husband, do I have the right to ask? Because I'm not supposed to be your helper, and if it's true that I'm your helper, I'll ask you. There came a day and not long where I I had to make sure she understood where I was at. And so, control your lust and enjoy your 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 marriage. And, and we have to do this. So, eight lessons. And uh, I would just ask you to stand. What's that? We're going to close in prayer. Let's stand. And before we close, I just want to leave you with that thought. If If you are involved in those if in your life, men and women, if you have gone down the path of ungodliness, I would encourage you right here, make a commitment. What does it say? If your right eye offends, what happen? You pluck it out. If your right, right arm, cut off. What does what he say in there? You've got to be radical. It's got to be permanent. And I'll tell you what, if I cut off my arm, that's sacrificial. You've got to be intense about this because otherwise your soul will shrivel. Your soul will shrivel. I'm going to encourage you to just bow your heads, and if you want to talk with the Lord, and then I'll close, and then we'll be done.